created live on Fireside. super cool and super super fun um thank you thank you for being here thank you for being on the show Daviani I'm so excited um I know you've been really busy recently the last couple of weeks um for those of you who don't know Daviani Saltzman is a writer uh she is also an art curator um and give me two seconds here uh Toronto-based writer, curator, and arts leader with a deep practice in multidisciplinary programming at the intersection between art, ideas, and social change, uh, which is absolutely lovely. Um, I think that arts really does play a very overlooked role in social change and how we can connect to culture and connect to each other. So I absolutely love that mission so much. Uh, most recently, Daviani was the director of public programming at the Art Gallery of Ontario, the fourth largest museum in North America, and previously the director of literary arts at the Banff Center for Arts and Creativity, as well as a founding curator at Luminato North America's prominent multi-arts festival. Uh, she's the author of Shooting Water, and her work has appeared in the Globe and Mail, the Atlantic, and the National Post, and Tehelka, India's weekly uh, of arts and investigative journalism. Uh, she's vice chair of the Writers Trust of Canada and sits on the board of directors of the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Association of Art Galleries, and Nova Dance. She consults across the sector and has worked with a number of organizations as an independent curator and strategist. So thank you. Thank you for being here, Daviani. Super excited. <laughs> long but my long bio I'm sorry about that I should give <laughs> not at all I mean you scream your accomplishments man <laughs> not at all that's so great um so I know you recently the last couple of weeks I know I've kept you busy I think you were down in New York and you were curating a very large exhibit uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about it yeah, it's actually, it was um, not even so much an exhibition as an arts festival uh, for PEN America, which is uh, one of the world's oldest human rights organizations. PEN works for freedom of expression and protects writers across the world. So uh, PEN World Voices is a festival that brings writers and thinkers and uh, leaders from across, across the world together in New York. And we had conversations about everything from affordability to freedom of expression eroding in India in uh, venues mostly around uh, the village. Wow. And that was that was just a one-day event? Because I a remember... Three day of, a three-day three event. So about uh, 100 writers and 40 events. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. Um, I'm sure it was very successful. <laughs> it, was, it was really wonderful. Thank you. That's fantastic. Um, and then, so I guess maybe, why don't you tell us a little bit more too about some of your, um, you know, your, your, you know, we obviously you've given our bio, um, but maybe I guess some of your trajectory, um, you know, and I guess maybe what kind of led you to, like I said, this whole mission of, you know, this, this intersection between arts ideas and social change, you know, how has that, how did that really develop, I guess, throughout the course of your career? Yeah. I, I, uh, I feel like I get sometimes very bored of my own, uh, my own story but I don't know I don't know why but I think um, I started as a writer and did a book of nonfiction, and then came home to Toronto and was looking for work just because I love collaborating and didn't want to be uh, full-time in writing and there was this festival starting called Luminato which is Toronto's multi-arts festival and uh, someone introduced me to the artistic director and he asked me if I wanted to kind of build a whole aspect of the the festival, the literary platform and ideas platform. I was 27 uh, and it, it just kind of happened. So I started in this kind of art startup on fold out tables in an office, an old industrial building. 
and we we programmed what would end up being like a 13 million dollar budget multi-venue multidisciplinary uh, international arts festival out of toronto um, and from that i went to an art center at west called the banff center as head of programs and residencies really about the creative process for artists and then was brought home to toronto to be the director of public programming at our museum and the idea was really about how can we make cultural spaces civic spaces and open them to all people i was the first um poc uh, director of literature at banff and then director of public programming at the ago uh, so in terms of social change uh I spent a lot of time thinking about how programs can be spaces for discourse and how we can really support artists who are asking challenging questions of the way we live in the world. Uh, I also really discovered uh, that unless that exists in all aspects of the organization, that mandate uh, leaders of color can quickly exit or be exited from making change. And I'm working on a book about institutions and why so many leaders of color are now leaving them, including in the EDI space, and do do these legacy spaces actually want to be diverse and be part of systemic change, or are they just recruiting without actually doing the hard work? Right, right. Um, and I think that's obviously a very, um, uh, what's the word? It's a very, you know, timely topic, something that's being discussed. Um, and I think it kind of brings to question this idea of the authenticity behind DEI. Um, and so I guess I'm kind of curious, um, you know, what are you able to share some of your experiences um, about being, you know, maybe a diverse or person of color in these spaces? Um, and, you know, of course, you, you know, go as, as personal as you'd like to go. Um, yeah. uh, but I'm very, you know, I'm always interested in these kinds of stories. I think it's very important to share these. I think I've experienced both sides. I mean, I've been, I was hired by some incredible leaders and CEOs um, and vice presidents and, who really were looking for authentic change within organizations and for those organizations to reflect their constituents and and uh, who who are diverse. So in a rapidly changing country like Canada, where the population is more, at least in Toronto, 50% foreign born and immigration increasing to f over 500,000 people in 2025, um, why is power, uh, you know, historically lay in mostly white hands in legacy museums, galleries, art spaces. Um, I think a number of people within those spaces wish to see that shift. There's been a lot of recruitment of leaders of color, but I feel like unless, unless there's a CEO and a board, unless there's a structure that has really made space for that, um, what I am noticing and what I experienced at least once in my career is somebody can be brought in as a as a racialized change maker, really, really kind of lean into that change. And if they aren't truly supported, they either end up in brown burnout or are threatening to the organization and exited or exit for their own reasons. I definitely have reached brown burnout in trying to be a change maker inside. And, um, and I think so much, it's, unless you're at the top, is dependent on who your boss is mm -hmm. and who the team is around you. So I'm interested in how can you actually make organizations that, that support sustainable change for racialized hires, workers and leaders. Um, and I think, uh, I think it really depends on the organization and we're in a process of trying to find out what systems work. EDI came in as a way in ED, chief EDI officers to try to embed that. But it, there was an NBC report a couple of weeks ago that said of all the kind of recent hires post, uh, as we emerge from the quote, quote unquote emerge from the pandemic, the, the first to be laid off in a number of organizations are chief diversity officers. Mm. 
Interesting. Huh. And so you kind of, you mentioned that, you know, you've had some great experiences and then some, you know, not so great experiences. You've experienced uh, bur uh, brown burnout. Um, now, what was, I guess, you know, what was some of the differences in, in those, uh, you know, from a structural perspective? What were some of the differences that you experienced between yeah, the two? I think, I think uh, in structurally, um, it's so funny. So much has, at least in the arts, seemed personality dependent. I don't know in other sectors if, if there's more kind of uh, sectoral protections in terms of structures. But um, for me, success was... Uh, I was I was a, recruited to Banff by a vice president, a woman who uh, was really forward thinking in terms of the arts and really nurtured her team of directors. And I think we all thrive very much in that. Um, and uh, at one point there was a major restructuring of the organization and she was let go. And in that restructuring, which is you know sometimes needed when budgets need to be pulled in and fair enough, I think the CEO was doing what she needed to do, but um, it led to a, it led to kind of a, a collapse of that department and that area. And without having a, that specific nurturing boss or, or support, um, most of those directors left and I was actually the last one standing. And that was a very lonely experience to see kind of your colleagues, um, exiting an organization. It, organizations are made up of people, of relationships. So I think the greatest challenge is, at least in the arts, is, when there's such a degree of corporatization that you forget your own mandate and that you forget these places are built on mm -hmm. the people's love for what they do and their relationships to each other. So I think you have to handle things with care. Right. Right. And I, I really appreciate that language um, because I always personally, you know, I've also been through corporate, I come from tech um, and um, I always thought it was, kind of fascinating in a way to observe our human nature in the workplace. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know, there's such a separation between work life and personal life. Um, and it's just like, sometimes it's like we kind of walk into an office and we suddenly have to be this very different person. Um, and I think that just creates a lot of pressure. But I always, I always think it's interesting because there's always discussions about, you know, corporate and the role in, in just kind of society in general. And it's just, it just seems funny to me that it's like we've created corporate and you know we are all the human beings that have created this corporate setting so how have we created this dynamic do you know what I mean um yeah. because we are all human we're all the same like how have we you know we we sit we all we, we want this change but then how come we we don't like create this right how is it that we created this 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 uh I don't know this almost like this dichotomy right that it's just like this is what I want but I can't but for whatever reason we can't actually be that in in the workplace but yet we've created that we've created all the culture like you said it's all about relationships at the end of the day that's what is is built that's what builds business is the relationships that we have and so I think it's just very uh interesting the human nature side of this right that why does our human nature change so much in the workplace or why are we and, and I think historically asked to separate it to such a degree. And obviously this moment of the pandemic has led to not only a social reckoning just before it, but looking at the nature of work and how we work and where we work. And if anything, I think a lot of people are asking for that humanity to be brought back into the workplace or into to how we interact with each other or even where, where we actually work from. Mm -hmm. uh, very interesting. And then um, when you talk so. Um, I think I remember watching and reviewing one of your other interviews that you had done and you spoke a little bit about um, um, the, the, 
I think you were, and this is, I think you kind of mentioned this earlier in the beginning too, about how in arts, there's a lot of, you know, maybe to audiences, it appears there's a lot of diversity, um, but guess, you know, yeah. behind the scenes, it is not so much. Um, I'm kind of curious a little bit more about that. Is that still pertaining to what you were saying about the kind of uh, like the hierarchy and, and, and all that, or is there, were there other dynamics at play there? Yeah, I think, I think at least again, in, in, in my area, um, the, the fastest thing to change what was outwardly being seen by audiences. And it's probably the same in film studios or in other forms of cultural production where um, one may be able to start making films with more people of color, or I'm just thinking of seeing beef, which was incredible. Um, or I could put on with the team programs that really reflected the community they exist again it within, but then uh, you know, the internal executive power structures of studios or arts organizations or museums are much slower to change than the content that they're producing. So um, that's not necessarily negative or, you know, but it, it does show that there is a dichotomy between what we see on our stages, screens, and um, in our cultural spaces versus who is ultimately actually holding power internally. And that power is shifting internally, but in a lot of ways, um, there's cases of it not and even retrenching despite the cultural output being quote unquote diverse. Right. Um, and how, you know, how much of the slow changes may be due to, um, is it maybe like perception or perspective, you know, those people, like the people that do hold the power, um, is it simply that, you know, in this case, are they not, you know, these stories, these cultural stories, is it just a case if it doesn't resonate with them? Do you know what I mean? And so it's just something that can't be backed. Is it, um, do you know what I mean? Like how, how, um, why is it sometimes so hard I to think get it's dependent on the, on the leader, but I think, I, I mean, I think there is a trend that one can map and I think it is cross-sectoral and I'm definitely trying to map it within the piece of writing I'm doing where there's also all of a sudden after a huge moment of social change post 2020 where George Floyd's death was a wake-up call to many spaces to change their power structures. Three years later, I think, and after EDI coming into effect in, in a major way, I actually think there's a lot of fatigue where non-racialized leaders are like, well, we've done that. Okay, we've incorporated this. Time to move on. Back to business as usual. I'm not um, saying this is everybody, but I'm right. saying in a number of cases, I think there's actually a bit of retrenchment or backlash mm -hmm. happening where why don't certain people want that to change? I think there's exhaustion. I think there's also... Um, actually, we don't want to let go of power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, you know, what, what it really would mean is seeding our own position on some level. And why would I want to do that after spending years and years and years building up my reputation, my status, my pay scale? Um, you know, to, in, in essence, when we're looking at what equitable systems would truly look like, I actually think it's about power sharing and flatter systems and moving away from hierarchy to co-leadership models or mm -hmm. to collective models. I'm I'm not talking about making arts and culture leadership communes, communes. I'm, I'm talking about, I think when we start to flatten structures, it's, it's harder for one person to, to kind of have say over what should be public space. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that language as well, my perspective and this idea of co-leadership. Um, and yeah, I mean, I really, really, that's, I'm like letting it sink in and it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's very powerful. Like I really appreciate that perspective. Um, and I think it's something that should be adopted across multiple different, uh, across different industries. Um, 
and this idea of power sharing. I mean, it actually makes me think of a lot of, um, it, just make, it, it makes me think of like, uh, like actual like culture, like, like indigenous culture and all those mm. and a lot of that, because that's kind of, that's what it is, right? It really is about that, like co, that co-leadership, that, that co-sharing of, of power um, and that idea of co-creation, I think as well as what I really, what really comes up. And I think when we look at models, like I'm trying to look in the second half of my book at what kind of models are out there that are starting to kind of give us different ways of working with each other. I think there's so much that's nascent. There's so much that's still in process, but co-leadership is definitely one. But also a lot of the interviews I did were with Indigenous leaders in the arts. Mm -hmm. And one example, which was really interesting, not so much of an interview, but you know, for whatever it's worth is the Canada Council's new strategic plan, which was led by um, Indigenous broadcaster, writer, thinker, Jesse Wente, and Simone Bro and others at the council, is, is talking about um, Indigenous ways of knowing and differences in structure and braiding. So when you have like the national funding body for the arts, which is distributing over 500 million, starting to talk about different structures and Indigenous knowledge in their strat plan, that is exciting to me. Um, but I don't know if we're moving forward in a straight line towards progress and change. I think as much as that's happening, there's organizations that are like letting leaders of color go or seeing leaders of color exit because they're being brought in to do the impossible task of, as a sole person, making change. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And that just making change is not uh, one person, right? It takes, it takes multiple people and it takes multiple, uh, shifts in perspective and, uh, shifts in mindset as well. Um, and, you know, and I think that especially in like a corporate setting, it can be, that is very challenging because we're caught up in these like dailies to do's, you know, we're, we're a slave to time, um, that we don't actually have capacity to, you know, anything that we can fluff off or not fluff off, but like shove off, you know, everything we can say, I don't have time for this doesn't fit on my plate. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to do that than to make that extra effort or take that extra second to, to reconsider the intention of, of what we're actually doing and what we're yeah, trying and, to do. And, and mandate. And I think you're exactly right. And sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's like, I think Harvard Business Review came out with an article recently, like busy is not productive. Right. It's almost like a, a super large lie. And even the idea of Uber productivity, I used to, you know, the team and I used to program 400 events a year at the museum. And it's like you, you, I realize you become, there's an adrenaline addiction associated right. with busy culture and work culture that is hyper, hyper product driven. I'm sure that exists in tech. And actually now I, I, I left and two years later, for the first time in my life, I'm an independent consultant. So I work on projects that feel, I, I feel fortunate to be able to choose and work on projects that feel good to me. They're usually three to six months um, with different teams and different organizations. I'm like, holy, sorry, excuse me, like, holy God, like what, what was, I was like on cortisol. Like what was, what was I living? Like yeah. you, you're on, when you talk about the hamster wheel, I'm like, was that more effective than doing things slowly with intention? I, I don't know. No, I, I appreciate that. And I think that's a really great question to, I think, end off with is, is, you know, reflecting on, on this idea of like, how are we, are we moving intentionally, right? If we want to move towards change, it's about moving with intention and how do we fuse that into our day to day? How do we infuse that into the workplace and how do we come together to, you know, co-create this idea of, of intention? And, and maybe, and I'll, and I'll, I'll end off with that. I know we're ending shortly, 
Um, I'm also realizing maybe some spaces don't have to change. Maybe they were built to be what they are. And as opposed to feeling like they need to shift their mandate for a different audience, maybe they just need to lean into the audiences they actually do wish to serve. Like, I, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think false change is necessary. If you have a certain amount of constituents and they're being served by what you do, do you need to broaden the audience and do it falsely or superficially? Or do you need to actually go, actually, these are our constituents. This is who we serve. Maybe this is a specific cultural, they're from a specific cultural background. I'm thinking of like a, uh, a South Asian arts organization, or I'm half Jewish, half Punjabi, a, a Jewish arts organization. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I almost feel like it's more dangerous to say, we wish to change, we are changing, but actually authentically your mandate is different, right? Right, right. No, I appreciate that so much. Um, and I think that's a really, again, a really great reflection uh, to take away from with, uh, to leave this conversation because how do we move through intention um, authentically, right? In a way that's authentic to ourselves and like you said, the audience that we serve. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here, Daviani. I'm super, super grateful. Um, I know that you've got a bunch of different projects that you're always uh, working on. So excited to see those coming. I'm very excited for your book as well. I think it sounds like it's going to be fantastic and I will definitely oh, look you. forward to, to reading about that. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Super, super grateful. And um, thank you to our audience for tuning in as well. Thank you, Vanessa, very much. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye. Created live on Fireside.